1: back, everybody, to another Friday Breakdown edition of the Southern Outdoors podcast. i got the ginger bowhunter with me over here. How are you doing over there, Jacob? Well, I'm doing well. Ginger
0: bowhunter, ginger, uh, probably gunslinger at this point, because at yeah. this point, I'll, I guess we'll be. Ba- I'll be back from uh, Arkansas by the time this episode probably comes out.
1: muzzleloader season
0: in Alabama. A- in Alabama, yeah. You know, yeah. I'll be trying to go hunt some bucks, you know, in and around their beds. Oh, wait, no, This
1: is dropping the Friday before gun season.
0: Oh, shoot. <gasps> so it be after the muzzleloader hunt.
1: Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I think this is dropping on November 18th. Ooh. <laughs> man, it's coming. It's, it's coming! coming. Ooh. <laughs> man, there's like Christmas every year, man. Oh, I love I love me some gun season, boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some gun season. So, um, yeah, how you doing,
0: Andrew? Yeah,
1: I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a little bit excited about, about what we got going on here, uh, getting ready for gun season, getting ready, muzzleloader season. I don't know if I'll get out on a muzzleloader hunt, um, just because it's a Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. But... uh I will get out on a gun hunt tomorrow when this drops for sure. Um, probably gonna hit up the the that big new piece of public land that that me and you have been kind of looking around. Uh, we got a pretty big hunt coming up there. You think you think you're gonna hunt it then? Or are you gonna or are you gonna go to the club, man? I, I <laughs> unless I unless I so I'm throwing some cameras out at the club. Unless I just get some giant buck on camera that I really think I can kill at the club. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hunt that public because I, I want to get this is a place we're pretty unfamiliar with. Haven't hunted it a ton, scouted it a little bit, hunted it a little bit. Uh, and we got a big kind of wreckation deal, I guess you'd call it, coming up there in December. And so I want to kind of familiarize myself with the area a little bit more and, you know, not walk in blind when we take that vacation to go and hunt up there. Uh, so I want to get, hopefully get out there opening weekend of gun season and just, Really what I want to do is spend, which, you know, hopefully I'm doing this the day after this drops, get out there and spend a full day, dark to dark, just wandering around up there with a gun, probably sit down maybe like morning and evening hunts and, and kind of wander around midday or whatever I end up doing just to one, get a, a feeling for the sign that's up there Two, get a lay of the land, familiarize myself with the terrain. Uh, and three, I mean, just, I don't know, hopefully kill a deer up there, uh, and get ready for that hunt. You know, when we go in on, on that hunt, I don't, I don't really want to go in blind. And uh, we're still pretty far out from the rut on the hunting club. That'll be sometime in January. I think I think it'll be mid-January. So I'm not in a huge rush to, like, really hammer that property hard. Good point. Good point. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to go out there in some of my better spots and just hammer a doe right before the rut mm. on the club. So uh, I got some spots where I'm kind of saving it for that that more rut time frame. And then I feel pretty confident on that place too. If I'm wanting some more does that I should be able to kill some does like that last week and a half, two weeks of season. Yeah. Out oh, there with a for rifle. For sure.
0: For sure. If we, we got to get some more jerky by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident in those two weeks. Uh, so I'm not too bent out of shape on the club. And I really want this, this public land that we're looking at to work out. Cause it's a totally new area, totally new challenge, mountain terrain. we got a lot of listeners who are in mountain country, and, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about doing this hunt because we're going to get a lot out of it. We're just, there's going to be a lot to talk about on the podcast. Pretty yeah, excited. Absolutely. Kind of putting ourselves back in a position where we're, we're kind of newbies in this area and this kind of terrain type. So it's going to be fun. Mm. Oh,
0: dude. Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, I
0: mean, by the time we're recording this, you know, a couple of weeks out, but you know, scouted there, you know, in, in one area and it was, it was pretty awesome. Some of the sign finding and. You know, but it's also challenging, and you know you, you can kind of put a lot of different things together, to try to make it happen. But not to get too sidetracked with it. But I guess it kind of has something to do with you know our guest from this week, which is uh, Rocky Smith. He was actually a listener of the podcast. Uh, we've kind of known about Rocky for I probably known about maybe two years now. Uh, he had a really stellar season, really the last two seasons, uh, but really kind of caught our eye last year with two really, really nice bucks that he'd killed. Um, found out he was a listener. I'm like, man, we gotta do a podcast with you and try to, you know, do some, you know, talk some of these tactics and strategies, and everything that he does. And it's kind of cool because the guy now hunts an area of the state kind of more northern part of the state where previously he was hunting more kind of like central part of the state where it's a lot more flatland kind of swampy uh habitat it, it, it literally like uprooted and moved to a new area which yep. is much more kind of hill country and even more mountainous um and had to kind of relearn what the deer do there compared to like that flatland stuff and, and you know as kind of got it figured back out but it was really kind of cool because early in the conversation, we really kind of talked about that dynamic between what he did down in, like the swampland stuff and like flatland compared to like how he had adjusted for the hill country um, to kind of figure that stuff out. And it was really kind of cool, that conversation.
1: Yeah, it was, it was fun. And it was a lot of fun for me to actually talk to him about that swamp area because it's a place that I mentioned in the podcast that I've hunted uh, since I was a teenager, actually. And uh, I always kind of struggled there a little bit. I mean, I've seen some deer, but nothing crazy. And uh, hearing his tactics and kind of how he went about tackling that, but also it's kind of fascinating the transition, like you were saying, of of uprooting and just hunting different deer density, different habitat type, different terrain type. Everything is different. Everything. Uh, And he kind of really hit the ground running up in North Alabama and and was able to get on some stuff pretty quickly and have a a bunch of really good years in a row. Yeah. Well, you
0: talked about that first year was kind of a struggle fest because you're trying to figure out... You know where the deer are, you know going to be and how they're going to work terrain and habitat and all that stuff. And one thing he mentioned pretty early in the podcast is something that you know it's hit me before where he's like, "Oh, I'm never going to go up there or I'm never going to go down there mm. It's like it's too rugged." Like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I, I don't need to go there." And like you know, he mentioned one area, you know, he's entering from the bottom and he's like, "Oh, well, I'm not going to go up there that steep stuff." You know, all the signs down here in the bottom. I'm just going to stay down here in the in creek bottoms and stuff. But like never seeing any deer. Or on the flip side, coming from the up top. And, like, all the signs up on top of the big ridges and stuff, but I'm never going to go down to the steep side of the face and drop down in elevation. Mm-hmm. And as he learned over a couple of years that that place where, you know, he said he's never going to go is now the place that he's always going to and focusing on and always wants to be. Yeah. Which is really kind of cool how that kind of shifted for him, uh, specifically in that more hill country and steep mountainous country too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, another thing. Some of the more specific things that he was talking about, I think first and foremost, which I I think we've been talking about this a decent bit lately, is the annual patterns, historical patterns, stuff like that. Uh, When he was on, I can't remember, because I had some phone conversations with him. uh, He talked a lot about the scrapes and stuff, finding some scrapes or or just whatever he's putting a camera on and studying the weather and the dates and everything. And then going back and hitting that same spot, you know, similar date, similar condition and trying to key in on that, that kind of thing. That is something that like for years now, that's a tactic that's really just kind of fascinated me uh, just because I feel like it could be super effective and and you build on something year over year. And uh, I think we asked him, is he more interested in the date or the conditions And he kind of said both. I think it's more date, but he's also trying to line up those conditions. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what's your takes on that kind of
0: thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, especially if you're talking more rut, I feel like rut, pre-rut, I think date's probably going to be more important than just overall condition. I mean, condition's going to be important, but if you're looking year over year, the only thing that's going to be like a for sure is the damn date. Yep. I mean.
1: That's 100% true. I mean,
0: conditions, like right now, dude, you know, October, we had a pretty cool October, and right now it's, you know, you know, it's early. It's early, it's early November. Seven
1: degrees, yeah. according to my truck thermometer earlier. Yeah.
0: So, you know, th- that's never going to be the same, but the dates is going to be the same. So I, again, I think dates are most important if you're looking year over year sign, and then trying to correlate, you know, weather pattern, you know, moon pattern, anything like that, temperature, wind duration, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that is something that's very interesting. Of you know. His take on that historical sign, because we did get into that a little bit later in the podcast. I think that was like the last, you know, little bit of the podcast. We kind of got into that historical sign, and you know, he didn't mention like scrapes are a huge point of like what he's looking for. And I brought up, you know, in his area, especially when he's in more of that kind of like steeper, more mountainous terrain and habitat, kind of curious where he was finding a lot of those scrapes that they're using specifically during daylight. Um and you know he mentioned you know some of those you know secondary ridge points you know he talked about like one of his favorite terrain features not to jump too far ahead um, is those skinny secondary ridge points coming off a very steep face of a main ridge um, you know and skinny being you know if i if kind of from what we we're talking about you know 30 40 yards wide if not even maybe skinnier there um is kind of like what he's looking for and you know a, a longer ridge points nice you know secondary ridge point jut down's nice um But that being just a feature that those bucks really like to kind of, you know, come to, come around, stuff like that. And, again, finding some of those scrapes, you know, on top of those or, you know, in and around those areas or around benches and stuff like that. It's kind of what he's keying in on. And, And figuring out when are these specific bucks coming through an area and is there a pattern during that time frame. And we had just mentioned on, I think it was last week's Friday Breakdown, the deer that Thomas found in Arkansas. Uh, this really, really big deer um, down this kind of uh, river bottom unit, and he hit this scrape, dude. Uh, mock scrape I put in Let me and Thomas were up there. I put in a mock scrape, no scent, just you know, a, set up a freaking excellent licking branch for him. I'm talking about it. Made it made it so perfect <laughs> you can't walk by without hitting it. And everybody yep. that's walked by there has hit that licking branch. Heck okay yeah, that's uh, awesome because it's an area just to kind of give you an idea of the setup. It's underneath a couple big mature uh, water oaks that were all dropping acorns. And um, there's a ton of sign coming through out there, but there's literally no trees. there's no looking branches at licking branch height in that area. So I made one. Perfect location right there in that area. And again, it's got some thicker cover all around. It's like a little opening, probably like 20 yards wide. And every buck that's come through that area has hit that licking branch. Um, but again, that buck hit it. If you're in a very short window of time, and again, we talked about this a little bit last week's episode, but there was a doe that came in the heat. It seemed to come in the heat right around the 30th, 31st of October. There was a very nice 10 point on her butt on the 30th. Mm-hmm. That big buck showed up, which wasn't on the doe, but that big buck showed up big wide. I think he's 8 or 10 point. I can't remember what he, what he is. But anyways, he showed up on the 30th and 31st multiple times at that scrape during both night and daylight photos within those two days.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm like, if that's the case and there's a certain dough that's coming to heat during that time, that is something historically to play off of for next year, 2023 to get in there on the 30th, 31st and sit in and around that area if that doe again is coming to heat roughly that same time every year and that's to me part of the historical sign that you're really keying in on it's not so much of when the bucks are starting to work stuff but it's also when the does are starting to come into heat and those bucks those bucks know this doe group there's a doe that comes in heat maybe a little bit early or a little bit late or something like that and that's what you're kind of keying in on
1: yeah year in year out it's going to be consistent and you want to pay attention to that kind of thing and get in there. That's something that I was actually planning on doing with that big, uh, six point or seven point. You posted a reel of it not long ago on our Instagram page that I had on camera that was coming out and checking that scrape. That was a deer where I was like, I'm going to hunt that scrape. That was like on Thanksgiving or something, which is pretty close to our rut in that, in that particular area. And, uh, I was like that next year I was going to get in there and I was going to go after him and, and try to get him. And I think I did hunt it that, that next year about those days, never saw anything, and then come to find out that deer actually didn't make it. Uh, but still, you know, that, that was kind of around the time where I started to get really interested in those annual patterns. Because I, I started hearing some other people talk about it. Perry. We, yeah, we had some people mention it on the podcast, and so I kind of wanted to start paying attention to it. But again, dude, I, I probably sound like a broken record week to week on that, but I really think there's a lot to that. It is, but the, pro- the problem is, not the problem. I
0: don't, I don't like saying the problem. <laughs> the situation, the of, challenge. The cha- there, that's that's a better word. The challenge with that historical sign is a couple things. You have to have cameras in the right spots for this to work. You can't mm. just throw a camera randomly up in the woods. Yeah. Okay. So you have to have very strategic locations that you're putting trail cameras mm-hmm. and having the mindset that hey, I'm letting this thing sit in this specific spot all season long. Yeah. I'm not putting it here for two or three weeks and then moving it. You know, I'm not doing, you know, Jeff Homan's, you know, perspective or or, or style tactic of backtracking the buck. I'm leaving this camera on this scrape, on this bluff gap, on this pinch point, on this habitat edge, literally all year long to figure out with all that data for that year, what is a potential historical sign or historical movement that I can then key on for the following year? And that's the challenging part because if you don't have your camera set up in the right spots or on the right scrapes, the right licking branches or in the right travel corridors, it could be all a waste if you didn't put enough time in on find those perfect spots.
1: Yep, definitely. Uh, I I guess I would say like it it has to be something that is going to stay consistent year to year. So like a established scrape, um, established trail that's, that's heavy that, is on a terrain feature that get used get, gets used year to year. Something that like maybe is not a great idea to put it on is, is maybe like a feed tree. Like you're probably not going to get an annual thing out of that because, you know, next year there might be mass, there might not be. Or there might be a different tree that they're hitting next year and it, it might just be something that totally changes year to year. Uh, So something like that, you know, which I have a camera on a feed tree right now. So, I'm just kind of curious about what's coming to that feed tree, but I'm not necessarily going to look at that camera and then be like, okay, next year on November 12th, I need to be under this white oak. Unless it hits that mock scrape we made. Yeah, that was a good looking mock scrape, dude. Like, I turned around, I didn't even know you did that. I turned around, and there's just a beautiful, big old mock scrape. You make mock scrapes the way I make mock scrapes, where you just want that sucker to be huge. You want to be so big, this is my thought, you want to be so big
0: and have like the perfect height looking branch that like... A buck, even a doe, like a buck can't walk by it without like I've got to spend some time here.
1: Yeah, like what do we have here? Yeah,
0: like it's you know it's to the point point like and like and I'm not putting really sin out. like I may pee in it may not I did paint in that one though that we put out, um, but like I don't think that matters. I think it matters of like this this the visual size of the scrape. The, tor- the smell that's torn up ground yeah. and like the perfect height looking licking branches that like, I'm going to put my head, my antlers and my mouth up on these licking branches mm-hmm. and just like, you know, leave a bunch of scent and I like, do my thing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's very much visual. Like I feel like that's why, like I don't think you have to have scent in order for a mocking, a mock scrape to really be effective. I think it's very visual for them. Yeah. Like they see all these different characteristics and like, Oh, I've got to do, I've got, I like this. Just by characteristic, by like, you know, my, uh, you know, their, um, you know, habits, whatever. I've got to hit this.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, you know, people make, like, those scrape drippers or whatever. And uh, I-, I guess that could work. But the way that I look at it is, like, if you do that mock scrape right, they're putting the scent in it for you. Mm-hmm. You should have multiple bucks come into that thing, and they're using it. They're scraping it. They're putting their scent. And that should be your, like quote unquote other buck scent that's in there that's going to you know supposedly get these other deer to come check it out and actually work that scrape more often so um yeah it's it's pretty remarkable how just the even just the disturbed ground works too same thing with uh like coyote trapping like if we got any trappers in the audience making a dirt hole set uh i know like i used to do this and then i've i've read in a lot of like trapping articles and books and stuff where guys who are making a dirt hole set it's it's like almost like a mock scrape, you know, you except you put a hole in the ground and there's supposed to be some like scent in there, and then the traps in front of that where the coyote's supposed to come up, smell what's in the hole, and you place the trap where he should put his foot right there. But you can scratch out that whole area and make it noticeable. And dude, I'd make it like a car hood, like just a giant, just huge scraped out area one for all the earth scent, and then two for the visual, where if like it's on the other side of a field. Like they can see it. Like up on a hillside and they're like, holy crap, look at that. You know, like it's very, it's visual, it's noticeable. So, um, uh, guys do that with bobcats too. I used to, the guy who showed me how to trap, he would get like a, like a big, he'd go to Walmart and get like a giant case of CDs, like unburnt CDs. And he would hang those from trees. So it's like fluttering in the wind and shining. Smokes and bobcats doing that. He would go get uh, feather pillows and rip open the feather pillows and just throw white feathers all over the place. Hang, like, a turkey feather from the tree and let it blow around in the wind. And that's, like, a visual thing for the bobcat. And he'd put, like, the set beneath that. I think it'd work on pepper, too. Just like a scrape. Oh, it'd totally did, work on did, pepper. Did, did you
0: see, or like, right when we got on that bullet trail, not to jump back from, like, last week's breakdown. But, like, when we got over there and, like, she did, like, a little circle in that, that. Tail end of that fifty foot lead was behind her. She turned around and, and she chased moved, it. She moved and it moved, and she was like pouncing <laughs> on it, dude. <laughs> Like just that freaking prairie drive, oh, super yeah. high It, oh, it was yeah. hilarious. But I was like, Okay, Pepper, that's not what we're it's doing. It's probably not
1: great, you know, if it's a giant snake. And she sees like this, <laughs> this, this, this rope like figure moving and she jumps on it. Maybe maybe not the best. Yeah, block. that's a good
0: that's a good point, Pepper. We might need to work on that. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But uh but anyways, um d- again, just that was my whole not to get distracted with the whole mock scrape thing, but um, what
1: about those uh, secondary ridge points? I that
0: thought that was about? interesting because when he said that there's a certain terrain feature that he's very has very high confidence hunting. When he mentioned that, I'm like, okay, interesting. Uh, I'm very, you know, I want to hear more. And he talked about like that path of travel being kind of similar to what Chuck Young talked about, which we had on uh, earlier this summer where, you know, Chuck Hill was talking about like a lot of that path of travel coming to those big secondary ridge points is up through those drainages, like up through the bottom of those drainages, coming up that main ridge, hitting that steep face and then going over the top. Or even just like hitting that steep face, going over the top of that secondary ridge point, and then kind of side hilling. Well, what Rocky was saying and what he was seeing is like, yeah, like the deer may come up the side of that ridge. They may come up the, like, you know, that ridge is only 30 yards wide, but it's 100 yards long. They may come up the sides of it. Like, kind of side hill up the second ridge, uh, the second ridge point, hit the main ridge, and then kind of cross over where that second ridge point meets the main ridge, go over the top and kind of keep going. Um, they may come up the drainage ditch on either side, or they may come up right at the top, right at the middle of that second ridge point and just run that top down. He's like, I've seen it each way. Um, so, you know, it all kind of depends. But something about that skinny train feature being like a, it was a focal point of movement especially coming up in elevation specifically. Mm, Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that, you know, that is super interesting on morning hunts. You know, that movement coming up, coming up on the secondary ridge point, side hilling up, come up to that higher elevation. And again, those deer potentially bedding at a higher elevation in and around that secondary ridge point. It's just, it's really, really interesting. Um, It makes me think of like, you know, what that setup needs to look like for falling thermals, for wind uh, direction and stuff like that. And how all those factors kind of, you know, play out when you're hunting, you know, some higher elevation areas.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing you kind of mentioned earlier was those, the fact that he likes those skinnier ridges, those uh, skinnier secondary points to come out. And for some reason, I don't know. I just, I never really thought of it that way. And when he said that, I'm like, huh. And I got to kind of thinking about it and I th- thinking back the better secondary ridges I've hunted are those longer skinnier ones, those big wide ones. Uh, I just, I never seem to have as much luck on, but I've never really kind of clicked that together in my head for some reason. I, I like, is that something you've seen throughout your experiences in hill country is those those longer skinnier ridges are, are your better options.
0: Maybe I I just, I can't think off the top of my head, like areas where I've like really focused on those before, so I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, I don't really say like, oh yeah, I've hunted areas like that, and they were dynamite for me, or they weren't good. I just, I, I don't think I've hunted enough areas that had those kind of ridges in and around steep habitat. Um, you know, some areas that we may hunt this year are going to hunt this year probably can find some of that, but just where I've hunted in the past, I've, I've never really found it. Even when I was up in the Ozarks, up in like Arkansas, northern Arkansas, there's those mountains are so old. There's very few in the areas I've hunted where you have a very long, skinny secondary ridge point coming off the main ridge. It just it wasn't a thing. They're more kind of wider, you know, ridge systems, uh, secondary ridge points. So um again, definitely something that's super interesting. Uh, but again to me it makes sense, especially if you're trying to find a place that kind of necks down movement. You know, a skinny ridge system like that, you know, definitely necks down that movement around the head of that, right where it 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 hits the main ridge, you have all these different path of travels that come to that one spot that makes it such an easy spot to set up on and, and be able to catch, you know, whether deer are coming off the left side of the ridge point, the right side, whether they're side hilling or coming up the drainage, or they're coming right up the top, uh right up the middle of, of that secondary ridge point going up in elevation, you know, you'll have multiple different path of travels coming through that one spot where especially if you're gun hunting, which again, you know, like a lot of our Alabama guys, you know, all the times when they're having success is during gun season, you know, you have some legit opportunity to be able to set up, you know, fifty yards up above that second ridge point and, and have a great opportunity that, mm-hmm. you know, deer come up through there and get a shot opportunity before they you know, they can bust you.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's, that's something that I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to this season, especially going into this, this new piece of public that you and me are about to be hunting over the next, you know, month and a half or so. Uh, I think it's really going to apply out there, like you just said. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'm going to put out a call here. We're about to kind of kick this over into a, a special guest segment of the outro, uh, or Friday breakdown. Whoops. Whoops. (laughs) Called it the old name there. Friday breakdown these days. Uh, but I I wanted to put a call out to the listeners. Um, if y'all have anybody who you think we should just absolutely interview on the podcast, make sure that you uh, reach out to us and let us know who that is. Uh, give it, give us some good guest recommendations. Uh, we got plenty of people in the queue, but you know, we like hearing from you guys and, and finding some of those hidden gems. A guy you mentioned a minute ago, Chuck Young, that was a listener, uh, Submittal of a guy who's like, hey, you should really, you should really get this guy on. He knows what he's talking about. And that was one of the best episodes of the whole summer. Hundred, mm, um,
0: Yeah, two episodes.
1: Yeah, best two episodes of the whole summer. Um, two of the best for sure that we got a ton of good feedback on it. And now as we're in deer season, we're getting listeners success stories based off those episodes. So uh, hugely helpful when y'all do that kind of thing. If you got somebody, maybe he's in your hunting club. Maybe he's in your lease. Maybe he's in the lease next to you. Maybe he hunts the same WMA as you, same national forest, well, whatever the case may be. Uh, if you got that guy who's just consistently getting it done, let us know about it. We'll try to reach out to him and get him on and uh, hopefully have him on the podcast, you know, if it's a worthwhile guest. So uh, make sure that you are paying attention to that. Make sure you uh, write in with whatever your suggestions may be. Uh, Jacob, before we kick it over, is there anything else you got?
0: No, not at all. I'm excited
1: for this, uh, this, this next little segment of the Friday Breakdown. Yes, sir. All right, we'll kick it over to that special guest segment. I appreciate everyone listening.
0: Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls, and it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master Call and Success Call they had. Now pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spur Master and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the 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 promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far?
1: Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. and never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, thirty and fifty, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from thirty to fifty. And the fifty-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke
0: and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you could head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at Truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give Trulock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with Trulock. All right, guys, and on this part of this Friday breakdown, again Andrew had to hop off here, but I've got sitting here, or at least on the phone with me, our buddy uh, Scott Codwell of Rusty Guns Kennel, which is my breeder for Pepper, uh, which y'all have heard about over the last couple weeks with a couple tracks we've done. But uh, i got Scott on here, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some dogs, so this is going to be a fun conversation. So Scott, how you doing?
2: Brother, better than I deserve. (laughs) I'm going to steal a Dave Dave Ramsey thing. You know, life is good. Let's just put it that way.
0: Absolutely. Well, man, deer season is underway. And uh, with deer season, for any of us uh, that have uh, dogs that have one of these versatile bred dogs, uh, if you're into blood tracking, it's about the time of the year when you start doing some tracks. Uh, so we got a lot to talk yeah. about here. Uh, last week, Scott, just kind of fill you in, last week's uh, Friday Breakdown, we talked a little bit about that, uh, actually talked in detail about that track that Pepper just did a couple days ago. Uh, we are able to, again, recover a deer that was truly wasn't necessarily mortally wounded probably would have get caught by coyotes but that's about it um so it's been a crazy couple of days recently uh and again pepper's two for two for the year so far on tracks but uh anyways it's progressing very very well again 14 months old about to be 15 months old this month it's it's been exciting to kind of see her progress so far this year
2: yeah i mean it's uh I, i'm glad you know honestly you know i, I kind of call this the one-year checkup right how's the dog doing and uh you're a pretty public figure so i mean i've been watching we have talked, you know often and stuff like that and and what you've done with the dog uh all the things that you've been able to accomplish with the dog both in the bird field and the game field you know she's traveled you know multiple states now and hunting upland game and stuff like that but then you know the most impressive i think to me is um that you can easily switch gears with her for the the actually the original intent you you talked to me about for, for purchasing her and, uh, and uh, recovery of you know deer and game and stuff like that and she seamless, you know she seems like she's seamlessly been able to transition through a lot of those a lot of those things um, I uh, I'm kind of the proud papa right now could not be more proud that that when we talked on the phone a couple days ago and you told me about that track she did uh on that dough and i was just you know boiling over with uh you know pride i'll say you know and and really kind of happy for you guys because I hate to say it, brother, but this might be your once-in-a-lifetime dog. I'm sorry you got it the first one. Though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to make the most out of it for sure. But uh, just to kind of fill some listeners in, because I'm sure we got a lot of new listeners now compared to last time we had you on, which was like this past spring. Right. Uh, right. So Pepper is a Deutsch Kurzar or Kertzer, uh, uh, from Rusty Guns Kennel out of North Carolina, uh, which, of course, Scott, you are the owner of. And... Uh, Picked her up last October, uh, again, eight weeks old. And uh, we talked about last time we had you on, she'd actually did her very first track. She actually was introduced to tracking before we did anything upland hunting with her um, and actually did her first track at three and a half months old and actually was the reason we found the deer, to be 100% honest. Like we lost blood, could not find blood. And this three and a half month old 20 pound puppy found blood way away from where we had been looking. Uh, and we literally about th- we were about to call it and try to get the actual another dog in there. And we were able to get back on blood and find that deer. That my uncle had shot the day previously. Um right. and that's kind of progressed, you know, up to this point. Uh some of y'all have heard uh, listening to some of these Friday breakdowns, or if you listen to the Gun Dot Yourself podcast, um, gone to Montana so far this year with Pepper, uh hunting both Sharp Tail, uh Hungarian partridge and sage grouse, was able to kill, I think we were able to kill eight sharp tail over pepper over points uh and then i was able to kill a sage grouse over her point two which was absolutely epic because it was the bottom of the ninth about 200 yards back from the truck uh heading back to the truck after a six and a half mile loop uh and was able to finally you know close out my limit over pepper which was unbelievable i'm not gonna lie dude I almost almost teared up right there it,
2: it, it was a very emotional time you're, you're starting to learn isn't it funny though that like You get out of the truck and you do this huge loop, and then all of a sudden, all the birds you've been looking for within 200 yards. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know 100%. And then, so we did that, came back, um, and actually, I guess we technically, after that trip, was back home for a week or two, went to Arkansas. Uh, While we were in Arkansas, I was able to shoot two deer, a buck and a doe. My brother shot a doe. And actually, didn't make the best shot. He gut shot a doe. Uh, we were able to go in there and recover it with Pepper very, very quickly. Uh, deer didn't go overly far, just under 100 yards. And from the time we left the truck to the time Pepper was on the deer was 13 minutes. And it was about a quarter mile in. So we were, uh, we, she was uh, she knew exactly what we were doing. Had the harness on her, had the, uh, the, the lead on her. And uh, knew exactly what we were doing, actually tracking in a swamp. So we had to cross a good bit of water to get there. Uh, and was extremely ecstatic with that. Uh, and then after yeah. after that track literally four days later we drove i don't know like 16 hours to north part of uh wisconsin up uh, again yeah. around lake superior and then northwoods, northwoods man rocketing wolf country wolf mountain lion freaking black bear giant black bear. i've never seen black bear crap as big as i saw on that trip um it was unbelievable um <laughs> uh, and uh you know Hunted with her, uh, got on a bunch of rough grouse. She pointed a few woodcock, had a bunch of encounters with rough grouse, which was interesting and kind of seeing her actually track and recover two wounded grouse that both after we thought we had freaking completely just folded the bird, one ran like 70 yards and she was able to recover it, uh, on the track. And then the next one did about 30, went about 30 yards after it fell and she was able to recover that uh, bird as well. Um, So, got done with that, and then, of course, got back to uh, Alabama, and Andrew, as y'all heard in last week's Friday breakdown, was able to track a deer that Andrew shot, which was just, you know, a weird situation. If anybody's bow hunted, you've had weird things happen. You know, deer move, stuff happens, and uh, was able to recover a deer that uh, probably would have been coyote bait, to be 100% honest, uh, but was able to recover it after almost a mile track in an hour and 45 minutes being out there, uh, and was able to, again, recover that deer, which was... Very impressive. I was very ecstatic because we went about uh, probably almost 300 yards between last blood and uh, where we kind of get back on blood, 200 to 300 yards. Um, And again, we would not have found that deer, period, without her. Like, without a
2: doubt. It was not going to happen. What was the coolest part of that track that you were just so ecstatic about when you called me on the phone?
0: Oh, dude. I mean, her freaking, I mean, when that deer jumped out of the creek and she chased it down and baited it in the creek. Was the craziest
2: thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, caught it with it. little 40, little forty-four pound pepper. Brought down, probably I don't know how big that that doe was, but she looked pretty decent. Yeah, she's probably
0: probably ninety pounds or so. I mean, it was twice the weight of Pepper for sure, and and Pepper was able to again bay it down in the creek in pretty deep water, again about thigh deep water, and allowed us to be able to go in there and to be able to dispatch the doe. Uh, and again, just just incredible. Uh, and that, that's something that's kind of interesting, especially about Alabama on. Uh private land. Public land is every public land you have to track on lead. Private land you can track off lead um uh, with landowner permission and everything. And um uh, right. it, it was just incredible just seeing cause I didn't know what know what she was gonna do. After the deer jumped up out of the creek, which again, guys, if you want that full track, listen to last week's Friday breakdown because we go in like a great detail on this. But when it jumped up out of the creek the first time, um and just took off running and it was gimping, it was real gimpy and just it wasn't running right. Um and, you know, sent Pepper on a, I don't know, I can't remember if I said fetch or if I said, uh, I don't know if I said find it or I said something and she went <laughs> flying across the creek and, and went and got it um, for us. And uh, again, this was, was absolutely incredible. And again, was a deer that more than likely would have been coyote bait, had lost a ton of blood, um, you know, had a messed up leg, just a, a lot of stuff was not going right for the deer. And we were able to again recover that deer, thankfully. Um, so a lot has happened long story short a lot has happened so far this fall and it really is just now getting started for us because we have a long deer season and we still have woodcock you know down here in Alabama quail season just opened up uh, so there's a lot more hunting to be done with pepper over the next you know three months at least
2: yeah I mean it's um it, I, again proud papa right uh, but I think it's kind of relevant for uh, the listeners to understand you know when when you say, Versatile dog, what that means, and it means something different to you know just about anybody. Um, I'm a part of a Facebook group, uh, you know, for versatile hunting dogs, and heck, there was a post on there, and I'm not calling the guy out. There's nothing wrong with it or anything like that, but I mean, uh, there was a post on there for a gentleman that was looking for a versatile hunting dog that wanted a German bred dog that would do the upland, do some blood tracking, would do ducks. But then also would run down coyotes uh out west and stuff and i just kind of looked at that like man i don't know if i want my dog tangling with a pack of coyotes or a single coyote or anything like that but they do that out there and uh in in all honesty you know i look back now and i'm looking across my kennel and i'm like "Mm -hmm, yeah i mean at least three of my dogs i think would probably do that i mean you got to be prepped there's there's going to be some There's going to be an altercation and there might be some, you know, field scars, we'll call them. Um, But, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about a versatile dog. This is why you contacted me in the first place, right, was, you know, the first conversation we had about all this, and, you know, we kind of met through Nick, um, was, you know, you you told me flat out. I mean, you even re-emphasized like three times. You know, hey, look, I I just really want a dog that's going to help me track and find, you know, wounded game, deer that I've shot, deer that buddies have shot, or Andrew, or something like that. Um, And I might get to go out woodcock hunting one time. Um, Oh, how those cards have changed, though, a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like
0: you you mentioned on the first podcast, um, you know— Y'all's, you know, Mata, "Rusty Guns Kennel is, you know, y'all aren't responsible for, you know, any additional purchases of guns, land, trucks, you know, tracking (laughs) gear, training gear, uh, and or your marital status. And again, don't have to worry about the marital status right now, but uh, definitely there's been a lot of time, money, resources gone into this. Um, And again, never really thought I would do that, to be honest, but it's been fascinating. And really what's kind of kept me super excited about it is just seeing her progress As, like, some of the training has gone on, but also it's one thing to see it in the training, it's another thing to actually see it being done and her understand while we're in the field the job, whether we are, you know, hunting an upland species and she's having to point and hold a point for us and then retrieve a bird, um, or if we're actually going out and tracking a deer, which is completely different. I mean, you're asking the dog to do something completely different, um, and her to be able to switch on between those two switches and, and do it well so far has been incredible to kind of see progress.
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, you know in the training business we call that like when the light you know when the light bulb switches on right and it just seems like her 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 light bulb is continually going on you know with uh and and honestly to your your benefit is uh you know you've allowed that to happen right you you've taken her on these experiences you've allowed her to do these things like you said her first track was like four months old um and, and that's what we like to do here even at the kennel i mean if i've got a really young dog and just kind of starting out um you know we have an opportunity to track game or something along those lines i'll i'll bring them you know of course i'm going to bring a little more senior dog with me and stuff like that because oftentimes if i'm working for a client or something like that i want to try to do the best i can do to ensure recovery but just that experience of doing it you know training is great right uh you know, I don't want to say canned scenarios, but, you know, structured training is great, but you can't replicate what you're going to see in the field, right? You can't replicate uh, a deer crossing X amount of waterways and, and, oh yeah, the dog's in the, in the middle of a track and, and it's hard and heavy. And all of a sudden jumps the deer and the deer's not quite dead yet, you know? So now what are you dealing with and stuff? And a lot of that goes into everything from just, just genetics to, um, you know, just that dog's capacity to be able to handle that situation. And, um, you know, if the dog never experiences it in the training environment, then, um, you know, you can't expect that dog to do that right off the bat. You know, I, I think, honestly, if that had happened in Pepper's first track at four months old, you may have had some hurdles. You know, if she got tangled up with a deer at four months old and all of a sudden now is, you know, a little bit on the leery side about approaching a whitetail, Meh, yeah. Okay. But you brought her through a bunch of stuff since, since that first track, you know, you've, you've had her out hunting, you've built her independence, you've built her desire, you know, and, and now that she's a little bit more of a mature dog, as she lays on the bed behind you, I think. Yeah, that's Um, her. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, she's able to mentally, uh, handle that situation, you know? And and then of course, like I said, all the genetics kick in, that light bulb goes off and, you know, I'm sure you probably were like, I don't know what to expect right now. I'm sending my dog after this deer that's, you know, not been dispatched yet. It's clearly got enough to do, you know, to get up and move and stuff like that. And what's going to happen next. And, you know, it worked out well.
0: Oh yeah, no, for sure. And that's why when she went after it, I mean, it was like 45, 30 to 45 seconds between when she took off to when she started, you know, barking and when she had it bayed. Yeah. Um, and I told Andrew, like when she ran off, I'm like, I don't know what she's going to do. Like, I don't know. Like the, I mean, the deer definitely, like, I think she could outrun the deer because the deer wasn't running very well, but I'm like, I don't know if she's going to bark when she, if she gets onto the deer or, or what. And clearly she did. And like I told you, there were sounds coming out of her when she could physically see the deer and it was right there in front of her that I've never heard her do before. I mean, a a bark, howl sound like I've never heard before, but it she was all fired up. And, uh,
2: it's just, so it, it never ceases to amaze me. Honestly. Um, these German, you know, the German breeds, whether it's a DK, DD, um, some of the other breeds pool pointers and stuff. Um, that have been bred to do this, and their capacity to turn that switch on and off. I mean, you know, Calypso. Calypso is the biggest snuggle bug, hugberry, whatever you want to call her. And I'm, I'm sitting here. we you know, for the guests, we're we're on FaceTime, so me and me and you know, Jacob uh, can see each other. And I see Pepper curled up in the pillows behind him on the bed. Right. To, to, to have that happen, where you're like, that's not my dog. Oh my God! What is she doing right now? <laughs> you know, and 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 doing all this stuff is kind of weird. And then all of a sudden, when it's over with, they're like, "Okay, Dad, where are we going? Where's the couch?" You know, hey, how's this going? You know, it, it, it's it's just really enjoyable, honestly. I mean, that's why I've gotten into it, and that's why I, I've got such a passion for it.
0: Yeah, it's incredible when you see that drive come on. Like when she, like I had her, she was searching uh, when we she got back on the blood. Uh, she was probably again about two hundred ish yards from me and kind of seeing her expand that search to get back on blood and get back on that trail in order for me to get down there and, and again confirm was incredible. But also, once once the deer was dispatched and she got to, you know, chew on it for a little bit and lick it, she loves licking deer. That's a commonality <laughs> with every deer she gets. She's like, I just want to lick the whole thing. Um, yeah. After that, she's like, okay, cool. Now what are we are doing? Like, it wasn't like, you know, sitting there acting. Um, like, it wasn't so high drive at the point where, like, she's like, um, you know, just wanting
2: to yeah oh uh, an adrenaline high that couldn't come down yeah
0: absolutely so like she was able which i was happy with because the that first track we took her on last year when she was again three and a half almost four months old uh she was like that the whole time there was no off switch it was like i want the deer as we're dragging the deer she's grabbing onto the back leg like we're dragging pepper too while we're dragging the deer out just you know just really wild after that whole situation, after the deer was, you know, after the deer was dispatched, and we were able to, like, you know, take some photos and everything, she was completely calm. We hiked again half a mile, three quarters of a mile back to the truck. Got in the truck, came back out, and she was good to go. Um, but uh, again, that that is something that's been really kind of awesome to kind of see. But it kind of gets to something I, I do want to talk about, which is the whole idea. And you, and me, talked about this a little bit before we got on here. The whole idea of, uh, especially as like a, a a whitetail hunter or just like a, a you know outdoorsman, you do a little bit of everything. Like the value, if you do get a one of these versatile breeds um that you want to kind of expand what you're doing in the field, but also have a focus on tracking and wounded game tracking, you can be that guy in the group that somebody like one of your buddies can call you and be like, Hey, you know, I've got a deer hit. Can you come out? And you have somebody close to you, or that your your buddies have somebody that they trust to come out and track because you know, one thing I've ran into in the past, and I've had uh, a couple trackers, you know, come out and, and do some recovery for me on a couple of deer is, uh, I haven't ran into this one situation, but I've had others talk about, you know, trackers love telling stories. They love kind of talking about recoveries and all this kind of stuff. And I it's... Brag about the dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Brag about the dogs, which I completely understand. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you're on a piece of, you know, public land, or maybe if you're on a hunting club that you're, you know, you're hunting a deer that people don't know about, um, you, you may not want That person telling a bunch of stories and letting people know, especially maybe you didn't recover the deer and it's still alive, or maybe you did recover the deer, but there's other deer in that area you're trying to hunt. And being that guy in the group that, you know, everybody can kind of trust, like, hey, you come out and track for me, it stays right here between us. It's, It's not being shared to everybody else, I think is a huge, huge, valuable point. Um, if that's a goal of yours, and that's one reason, Scott, when we originally started talking a couple years ago about getting one of your pups or potentially getting one of your pups, um, was that reason was like, I wanted to be the guy in our group that if we needed a deer to be tracked, I hopefully would have a dog that would be trained and ready to go that. We don't have to have an outsider come in, especially when we're hunting on public land. Um, and, you know, we can keep it in between the group. We don't have to have somebody else kind of know about a situation, know about a spot, know about access. And it's not like they're necessarily just sharing it with everybody, but maybe they tell a couple buddies about it and they, their buddies tell something about it. There's photos and stuff like that. And next thing you know, there's three or four trucks parked at that spot, which I've heard from other people actually having that happen where they had to, you know, get a big deer tracked. Maybe they didn't recover the deer. And next thing I know, a couple of the tracker's buddies are in there hunting. You know, the next
2: you know, the next weekend. You know, we live we live in the information age, right? It, it, it very little happens without it getting posted to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And, and you're right. Uh, most individuals, uh, I mean, I know you're proud of Pepper and what she's done and stuff. And and most individuals that do game recovery and stuff are pretty proud of you know, the accomplishments of their dogs. And of course there is, there is a little bit of a marketing value in, in, in there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that like, we were talking about, like just being a well-rounded outdoorsman, you know, and, and, and having one of these dogs and doing that and being that, that resource for your, or network for your group of people and stuff. Um, you know it, it's invaluable i think it just makes you a better honestly it just makes you a better, better outdoorsman it makes you a better hunter uh, you're going to see things and experience things that probably you never would have done if you were just you know a deer hunter or a you know bird hunter or something along those lines um the and it happens exactly what you're talking about you know perfect perfect example um I'm, taking up an opportunity to go find a deer tomorrow. It's going to be on public land. Um, I had a long discussion with the the individual that had uh, uh, attempted to harvest the game. And, uh, you know, the very first thing, you know, for me personally, you know, I'm meeting him out there, so I'm like, hey, shoot me a pin of where you're at. And he he hesitated. I mean, it took him, you know, the initial conversation, there was probably 30 texts that went across each other's phones and 20 minutes and then all of a sudden it was a 45 minute break you know when i said that and then all of a sudden he came back and he says well do you want to meet over somewhere over here and i finally called him and i was like brother i'm not going to tell anybody where you're hunting (laughs) you know i'm not going to post anything i'm not going to say where you're at and all this other stuff and he was like oh yeah 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 fine here yeah i'll I'll shoot you the pin where we can meet where you know we can link up and and start this track and stuff um you know it, it." it is. I mean, it's unfortunate. Uh, public land gets a lot of pressure. It gets a lot of pressure, um, and even deer leases. Sometimes I'm not saying anybody's in a competition, but like you said, you know, if you've been doing your work and your homework and everything else, and you've been working on a, uh, a a target deer, and and you know, for some reason you decide to fill a freezer with a doe, but that target deer is still in the area. The last thing you want is like everybody to know exactly what you're what you're doing and how you're doing it. I'm not saying these dogs will help doing that, but it's just being responsible, I think, you know, to a certain
0: extent as well. Yeah, and, and again, it this I feel like it helps I think I feel like it is it just helps knowing that whether you're the guy in the group of buddies that you know decides to get a dog that's gonna put some time and effort into it, um, that they can call on, or having one of those buddies in the friend group that's you know trustworthy, you know, has a dog that can, you know, help you come and recover Because again, after, especially after this recovery, like the first recovery Pepper did this year with the gut shot deer, I felt very confident, especially when I heard, heard the details of what happened after the shot. I'm like, okay, we're going to find this deer probably pretty quickly. Um, right. But this last one, like how much more confidence I have just on recovering of game with her is through the roof. I mean, I mean tremendously through the roof, uh, which again, I just see like a huge advantage when it comes to being like that guy in the friend group or or your group of hunting buddies or whatever that, you know, can be called upon if needed. If that's, you know, what you want to do to help a buddy out and and be able to make something happen and give them more confidence too about recovering game. Because I was telling Andrew this on last week's episode, there's been times in the past, like, I didn't know blood trailing or like tracking dogs and dog handlers was a thing until maybe five years ago. Um, Right. It just was not popular. It was something I just never had heard about. Even on social media, I just never really heard about it. Um, and there are deer that I have shot in the past that I guarantee if we had a dog, at least two of them would have been probably recovered. And, like, you know, I had issues with rain on one of them. And rain washed the blood away. And I'm crawling through a pine thicket that I think a dog would have nailed in there. Um, and then another one, very, very similar conditions. You know, You know, a high hit but a good exit but, again, plugged the hole up uh with an arrow and again i think with a dog would have been a lot easily more easily recovered because the thing is so many people will lose blood and they start grid searching if we would have grid searched for angels doe a couple like you know a few days ago um there we would not have found that deer we probably would not have found that blood because it was in a probably a 60 acre clear cut that was everything's about six foot tall in that uh that it had run into like good luck grid searching that for deer or blood this is not going to happen um right. and I, it,
2: I, that's a great point that you mentioned on that is that you know we the dog thing and, and this is probably why you haven't seen a lot um until like you said about last five years or so is it, it honestly it, it has become a lot more popular i mean it, it just with uh you know the dogs in general the virtual hunting dogs in the u.s have become really popular as, as a whole um you know, uh, I haven't looked at recent stats and stuff like that, but uh, I would guarantee you that it's probably increased twofold in the last five years uh, from what it was, you know, previously. And you know, it it's one of those things where um, now it it it's more actually you got to take more time and think about okay, what dog am I going to use to do this, and then how. But then you also got to kind of get back into true. You know woodsmanship and stuff like that uh the individuals that have the hunting lease here and and they're a part of my group of friends that you know we have an understanding and that is if you shoot a deer and it doesn't drop within sight don't even climb out of that tree stand for 30 minutes and then all you do is find first blood and call me you don't go looking in the woods you don't go doing whatever let us let the dogs do the work that that we used to do. You know what I mean? Um, it, it it's one of those things where it, it could literally be the difference between okay, is this a mile and a half track, or is this a you know two hundred yard track? You know, at at the end of the day. And uh, when you described how you guys handled that that track and that dough, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It, it's exactly what you hope to hear. Um, moving forward and stuff like that so um, I, I'm really proud one you use your woodsmanship Two, you use one of my dogs to find the deer and it, it's very successful um, but yeah it, it, it's um you know if you're thinking about getting one of these dogs uh, you know I'm not going to go into the whole find the right breeder find the right bloodlines thing but really think about what you're trying to do and then you know if you do get one of these dogs and you start doing this and you're doing it with you know like you said I want to be that core guy in my group of people and stuff. Have that discussion with these guys, you know, and say, hey, look, you know, I, I'll be more than willing to bring my dog out and help track, but here's, here's a set of ground rules, you know, that we're going to kind of stick by overall. And, and it's just going to help to your success.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And, and then give you and your dog even more experience to make it even more efficient and effective because, I mean, there's guys I've seen in some of these groups that will literally do 100 plus tracks a year which is just a crazy amount of tracks. And, and and you think about just how much that repetition, that repetition just helps a dog become more and more efficient uh, as a tracker and a handler too, be able to read the dog and everything else. So, I mean, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, but it definitely it's something that, you know, if anyone's listening, it's kind of thought about like, you know, if you're like, Hey, I really do want another dog or I want a dog in the next couple of years, you know, have that discussion, you know, the last time we had John Scott, we kind of talked about like the whole idea of like not rushing anything. Like, don't just get a you know a pup from a buddy from down the street just because he's got a litter of puppies. Like that's never really always the best option. Uh, and don't feel bad about having to, um, or don't be let down about you know finding a really good breeder for whatever speed whatever breed you're looking for, and they've got a you know six month or a year long wait list or even a two year wait list. You know if you find the right breeder that's doing what you're wanting to do with your pup and they're already doing it with their dog like scott that was a big conversation we had last time is you know you track with your dogs you upland hunt you waterfowl you do everything with your with your dogs and your line when you find somebody like that it's worth getting on that wait list it's worth putting that deposit down and just like saying hey you know i'm not gonna just rush into this let me find the right dog the right genetics the right bloodline and then we'll go from there, which is gonna help you out tremendously on starting, you know, have a good starting place with that pup. Um, it's like, you know, Scott, you've heard it and you know, all everybody's told me too that's been around peppers, like, you know, pepper's got a nose on her. And that's definitely it seems like I don't know if that's just a Falco thing like per se, but definitely that characteristic from what I've seen uh is tremendous. Um and it's it's just one of those things. Like if you want a bloodline like that, you you need to be prepared to get on a waitlist. Um it's something it's not, not not gonna be like, hey, you want a dog within a week you're gonna get a puppy from a really reputable breeder unless they had some kind of crazy thing happening. They don't have a wait list currently going on.
2: Yeah, it, it's um it, it's one of those things that um you know the the breeders that are man the breeders that are doing it right um and when I say when they're doing it right, they're they're breeding to to improve upon a a breeds you know assets or characteristics and improve a bloodline or improve a breed and stuff like that um and doing it for what i say the right reasons um most of the ones that i know of and stuff like that are are, at least in the dk world you're going to wait six months to a year to get your puppy right unless you get lucky and you know you find somebody that has had a litter recently and for some reason has one or two dogs that they haven't placed yet and you know they're, they're out there looking and there, there's a few there's a few out there um but you know it goes back to like our initial discussions and stuff um, you know i'm not gonna hammer on how to select a breeder but really you know one of my things that i said to a client very recently who was here saturday is if, if your breeder's not asking you just as many questions as, as you are asking them, then, then probably ought to think twice about it. And then, like you said, find the breeder that's doing the things with their dogs that you want to hopefully do, you know, or, or are doing. Um, breeders are selfish, dirty, rotten SOBs. You know, we breed the dogs that we like. You know, I'm not breeding a dog for you. I'm breeding a dog for me. Right, any of the good ones are going to tell you, "I'm going to breed this dog because I want this or I want that." And and, you know, you just got to kind of have that. You got to have that bond with that breeder. You got to build up to where you can say, "Okay, yeah, this is somebody I would go hunting with." Honestly, that's really what it boils down to. This is somebody I wouldn't mind, you know, taking you know, bird hunting or duck hunting or or deer hunting or something along those lines. It's just going to make the whole um, you know experience tenfold better.
0: Yeah, and I'll say this as well, uh, not to get too sidetracked here, but we're talking about the whole tracking thing. You actually, you know, with that track tomorrow, you're actually going to be taking uh, Pepper's mother, uh, the uh, the damn uh, Calypso, on that track, which is uh, going to be kind of kind of interesting to kind of see that. You were telling me, you know, you've had a pretty memorable track with her in the past that was pretty similar, you said, to uh, Pepper's track this past week. Uh, I've got to ask, are, are y'all planning on doing any uh, falco Calypso? tracks you know, future litters or looking at doing a potential, anything in the future.
2: That's actually it, next in the pipeline. Yep. Uh, we just submitted for approval with Germany. Um, you know, if everything goes right, we should maybe have puppies on the ground sometime this spring or late spring. Yep.
0: Awesome. So, so if somebody, well, shoot, you probably are, you already have a wait list on that yet?
2: We've got a few people on there. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and we're a little bit different than most people i don't i don't take a huge wait list i don't take generally i don't take deposits on anything you know prior to you know because like we've had this discussion before uh my breeding program is tertiary to everything else i do you know if if i if i decide to breed a dog or, or a pair of dogs or something like that it's because one either i'm looking for my next hunting dog or you know, I've got a, a, a pool of people that I've already talked to, and, and I know they're, they're, they're I won't say anxious, but they're ready. You know, they're ready to get their next dog and stuff like that. Um, and that's when we make the decision that, you know, we're going to breed uh, one of the females in, in the kennel and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that track with Calypso and Sonia, um, a little bit different um and and this was one of those circumstances where i read kind of what was going on uh we had a deer that was uh gut shot clearly not a very good gut shot at all honestly um and uh the individual showed me kind of where the point of impact was where the deer ran to and it basically ran straight headlong 75 yards to one of the you know our ducks swamp, our our big ducks swamp that covers 65 to 80 acres. And, uh, you know, I made the decision on the ground. I said, okay, look, we're going to, I'm going to put the dogs on the ground in hopes that they can push it to the other side to dry ground. And then I'll call the dogs off and, you know, we'll, we'll mark that spot and we'll come back to it in, you know, eight to 10 hours, thereabouts. Uh, allow that deer to, to dispatch and stuff like that. Uh, lo and behold, I cut the dogs loose and within, probably a minute and a half they had that deer in the middle of the swamp bait out you know calypso had the tail Sonya had the head and you know we're out there in, in waist-deep water no waders or anything else just passing this deer you know so um know yeah, that was just i don't want to say it was lucky but that would have never happened without the two of them honestly so
0: yeah, no, and again, uh, it's good. again, it's just it's amazing, you know, what you know, dogs can do for you when it comes to not only um, you know helping you recover game, but also you know allowing you to truly be like that outdoorsman lifestyle and be able to do other things than just deer hunt and turkey hunt and everything else, which is fun. Um, so again, I highly recommend anybody if, if you are. You know, discussing about get about getting either another dog or getting a dog. You know, look at some of these versatile breeds and, and do some research and see if it's something that you want. Again, something more than just a house pet. Something that actually has a purpose. as is a working dog that you can actually go do uh, activities that you currently like doing. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, clearly you like being outside and being in the woods. Um, so, why not do it with a dog that can? You know, not only you can hunt with, but can help you become more successful as well. So
2: absolutely and and i'm very sure that you know uh the mornings that you wake up and you're you're going to the deer stand versus the bird field and stuff like that pepper gives you probably the same look that Calypso gives us you know in the kennel it's like hey wait a minute you're getting dressed you're putting stuff in the truck uh what's getting ready to go on? what why haven't you put me in the truck yet
0: (laughs) funny enough i'll say this i actually do take pepper in the truck I've taken her probably on five or six deer hunts so far this year and I have her kennel in the truck. I I keep a a, a big battery operated fan too for, you know, give her good ventilation and everything, but I've kept her in the truck for multiple hunts for a couple reasons. Number one is I didn't want to leave her at the house. And, uh, number two is, uh, you know, felt very confident. We were probably going to shoot something. So I didn't want to drive a, a good distance, you know, over an hour back to the place to go pick her up, her up and come back out there. So the thing is, I don't know, every time I've taken her out, we haven't shot one. Uh, actually, no, I lie. I lie. Arkansas, the two I shot in Arkansas, she was in the truck for that one. Uh, but I, I had to cross a river and I didn't feel like throwing her in the kayak to go recover the deer. Cause the deer only went probably 35 yards. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I have taken her. And, again, you can do that if you want. Uh, but uh, definitely, like you said, uh, there is a different dynamic when they are staying at the house and you're getting dressed and like, oh, well, we're not going to field. what's going on here. Uh, definitely, they're not always the happiest at that point. Uh, but, yeah, again, I highly recommend anybody. Again, if you're looking for a dog, you know, do some research. Get, you know, get a better understanding of what is possible when it comes to, uh, you know, some of these other versatile bread, uh, versatile breeds. Uh, again, we've talked about the DKs quite a bit cause that's what I have. That's what Scott breeds. Uh, but again, there's a ton of other ones out there that we talked about in the first episode that we had Scott on, but, uh, also you can check out our buddy's podcast, uh, Nick Adair from the gunned out yourself podcast. He's got a ton of details about different breeds on his show, along with different training methods. Um, whether you're upland hunting, tracking or anything else in between. So, uh, definitely another great resource, uh, worth checking out. But, uh, Oh than that, Scott, you got anything else you kind of uh, mentioned? If, you know, if guy, if people want to follow you or reach out to Rusty Guns Kennel, do they need to just go to the website? Do they need to, uh, you know, hitch yeah. up through social media? How do? Uh, they do
2: uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we're pretty busy, but um, RustyGunsKennel.com dot is the website um you know we're on uh instagram for rusty guns kennel dk rusty guns kennel on facebook uh i mean heck if you google rusty guns kennel you know you'll find us without too many issues um yeah and, and the only parting shot i'll say is um if there is somebody that's out there that's interested in doing this and, and getting involved a little bit more or finding their their next hunting partner really is what it is i mean you you're basically adding somebody to your family that's going to be your new hunting partner for the next, you know, 15 years, hopefully. Um, You know, it's not so much do your research, but, you know, when we talk about versatile dogs, the versatile dogs um, in the U.S., it's a pretty broad term when you look at it. Um, My suggestion to most people would be to stick to uh, some of the more well-known German line bred dogs, uh, your Deutsch Kurzhairs, which is just a really kind of fancy name for a registered and bred um, German shorthair. Um, your Deutsch Strawhairs, which is your, again, a German breed, um, also known as a German hair. Your poodle pointers uh, do pretty well. Um, your small Munsterlanders, your Nick's got one, you know, and uh, Andrew does too. Um, that will do pretty well with a lot of this stuff. Uh, but find somebody that's, that's doing it with the dogs. Um, if there's a lot of people out there breeding virtual dogs right now and, uh, they're breeding virtual dogs, but they're breeding them for single or single purpose, or I'll even say double purpose. If you want to say, you know, upland and duck, uh, but, you know, find somebody that's actually doing all the stuff that, you know, we're talking about, you know, dogs that are you know, recovering gain dogs that are doing the ducks. If you're into the ducks dogs that are you know doing the upland. if you want to get into that piece of it
0: absolutely awesome well scott appreciate you joining us for this uh week's friday breakdown it's been a fun episode and uh listen best of luck to you you got a long deer season ahead of you and uh, hopefully that track goes well for you in the morning i'm sure we'll get an update here
2: yeah yeah i'll i uh i won't post exactly where it's at but i will post uh this the success story there at the end so
0: Perfect. Awesome. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Make sure you check out Monday's episode of the podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you enjoy this episode, of course, share it with a buddy. Uh, and, again, if you uh, really, really enjoyed the podcast, you can go leave us a five-star written review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And, uh, again, we appreciate everybody's feedback. We'll catch you back here on the next week's episode of the Southern outdoors Podcast.
1: Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, All the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out, and figure out out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys
2: there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.